Good morning again, church family, and, and happy Mother's Day. Those, those of you that have been here for a few years may have noticed by now that we don't usually do that thing where preachers break up a sermon series and then squeeze it in a message for like a, for a Hallmark holiday. You know what I'm talking about? Um, but sometimes I feel led to make an exception, and, and we just finished Acts chapter 2 last week, and so there's, there's a natural spot here to take a break. And, uh, and so today we're going to look at a story of a mom in the Old Testament. So uh, this is a story you may be familiar with, maybe not. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, th- this is too long of a section to fit comfortably in your bulletin insert, and so I, I definitely recommend turning there yourself, having your Bible out or your, your Bible app. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover in a short time, so we're going to be going pretty quickly. Uh, and by the way, our opening scripture this morning was actually from the next chapter. How many of you were here this morning for the opening scripture? Okay, approximately three of you. Okay, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, for the rest of y'all, I know what your Mother's Day resolution is going to be. Uh, I, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Mother's Day resolution, is that a thing? You know? <laughs> um, in all seriousness, folks, the opening scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 2 was a prayer of praise that was spoken by the main character from today's text. And it's a really powerful prayer from a woman of God, and you'll find it on the back of your bulletin insert. And that's just an FYI for later on today, okay? Uh, As for now, I've got a treat for you all today. At least I think it's a treat. Uh, It's an introduction with no blanks to fill in on your bulletin insert. So you can set it down. You can just listen for a few minutes. Uh, I'll let you know when we get to the notes. So, So this is the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. And the story is of a woman who desperately wanted to become a mom. And the Bible tells us a little bit about her husband, but very quickly transitions into her story. So let's read Hannah's story. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. All that's going to be on the test, just so you guys know. No, it won't. Uh, But it it is worth noting that Elkanah means the Lord has possessed. That's kind of cool. The Lord has taken hold of. Uh, Names in the Bible nearly always mean something. Usually it's something really cool. And a lot of times it fits the character of the person. So uh, I just find that interesting. Anyway, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Okay, now, now just for the sake of clarity... Uh, in the Bible, we do see that some men had multiple wives. And in some cases, this was the fulfillment of a Levitical law that a man could produce offspring, or it was required by law to produce offspring for his brother's widow if his brother passed away. And the point, if, if the woman had no children, the point was to protect the widow and the family's property. Okay, And this may have been the case for Elkanah and, and his wives. We don't know. Uh, But elsewhere in the Old Testament, we see that having more than one wife was common among rich men uh, because they wanted to produce a a lot of offspring to, like, run the company, so to speak. You know, if they had a farm or they had whatever it was that they did. Um, But we also know that it was not God's ideal to have more than one wife. And he laid that out all the way back in Genesis 2, which Jesus then quotes again in Genesis, excuse me, in Matthew 19. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Now notice it doesn't say wives, right? It just says wife. 
And nowhere in the New Testament do we see polygamy approved of or practiced. Okay? I just wanted to say that. Now, let's talk about their names for a minute. Penina may sound southern. I mean, doesn't it? My name's Penina. But it's actually, it's one of the Hebrew words for coral, which is, is considered a valuable, you know, a beautiful substance back then. And in the Old Testament times, people didn't typically name their children until after they were, they were born. They didn't usually have a name picked out beforehand unless an angel gave them one. And so their name a lot of times was, was connected to their appearance or something about them when they were born. And so uh, you think of like Esau, for instance, means red. Um, so Penina may have been a lovely woman. You know, she may have been a beautiful baby. And they say, oh, she, she's just like, like, like we would say pearl, maybe. Um, but Hannah is a name with a deeper meaning. Hannah is Hebrew for favor or grace. And this may have seemed ironic at the time. You know, because typically having sons or daughters was considered a sign of God's favor. But Hannah was childless. So we're going to keep reading. Now this man, that's Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts, that's obviously Yahweh, at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Phineas and Ferb, no, Hophni and Phineas, were priests of the Lord. Okay, now, now this was normal for Jewish men to come into town at least once a year. They're, legally, they're supposed to come in three times a year, but most of them fudged on that. Like they, They're like, ah, oh, once is enough. Um, we don't know about Elkanah. We don't know if he came three times or, or just once. But we do know from later in 1 Samuel that the two sons of Eli, the priest, were terrible people and terrible examples of priests. Okay, They disobeyed God's law about sacrifices. They bullied people, which is awful for spiritual leaders to do. And they also convinced women to sleep with them in the temple. I mean, we're talking about terrible things that these so-called priests would do. They were bad news. Anyway, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed, closed her womb. Now, on the one hand, I would, I'd argue it's typically not a good idea to play favorites. Although it's, it's hard to blame him when one of his wives is so blessed with fertility and the other is barren. However, playing favorites... Parents, y'all probably know this, playing favorites is a great way to get yourself in trouble and to stir up rivalry among your family. I, I, I started saying early on, and it's still true, all of our children are our favorites. Um, they're, they're favorites in different ways, and we love them all. But my, my aunt used to whisper to all of her kids, she had four kids also, she would say, you're my favorite, don't tell the others. <laughs> and so apparently they all grew up thinking that they were her favorite. But stirring up rivalry is exactly what happened in this case, because it says her rival, that, that's Hannah's rival, Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And maybe, frankly, maybe Penina felt like she was, she was second fiddle because Hannah had literally been favored by her husband. So it went on year by year. So this was not just like once. This was a, a very consistent theme in the lives of Elkanah and Hannah and Penina. And often, as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Because it's hard to eat when you're constantly being reminded of heartbreak, right? It, it, it makes you so stressed out. And, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? 
Has he not been paying attention? I mean, really, this has been going on year by year. Uh, I mean, come on, bro. Anyway, so, and, and, and why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten sons to you? Okay, husbands, I'm going to say this right now. There are some questions that you should not ask your wife. Because you are probably not going to get the answer that you expect. And I, I'm, I'm telling you guys, fellas, if, if you ask your bride of however many years, am I not more to you than ten sons? Don't be surprised if her answer is not what you want. I mean, there may be times when she would rather have one Snickers bar than you sitting on the couch playing scratch and sniff. I'm just saying, okay? So, so to sum it up, Penina is envious because Hannah's the favorite, okay? And Hannah is sad because she's childless and she's being picked on, you know, about that. And Elkanah, the guy is just clueless. He apparently has no idea what's going on. So, so there's our introduction. Now let's read on. Uh, and we're going to see the faithfulness of Hannah. And we're going to gather what lessons we can gather from Hannah's faithfulness. So there really is some good stuff here. And I want you to, to please get out your bulletin inserts if you, if you like to take notes. And we're going to dive in together. Okay? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, that's Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And this is, this is where we get a chance. We get to see the, the depth and the beauty of Hannah's character. Okay, As I mentioned before, if you, were, if you were to read the prayer that's recorded in 1 Samuel 2 and that's on the back of your bulletin insert, you, you would hear the heart of a godly woman who is just truly, she's filled with affectionate praise for the Lord in that prayer. But at this point, her, her prayer is one of distress. It's one of desperation. She's been sad for so long about her inability to, to conceive. And she's probably wondering why God hasn't blessed her with a child when, when it seems like Penina has another one every time she sneezes. But she can't even have one baby. And she's struggling. It hurts. It hurts when faithful people see people who, who at least seem to be less faithful being more favored, doesn't it? I mean, that's a constant theme in Scripture. You know, it's, it's the age-old question that we see from Job and from Habakkuk and from why do the wicked live and prosper? No, I'm kidding. Why do wicked? Why do the wicked prosper? Why are they successful while the faithful struggle? It's an age-old question. And it's super important to notice that Hannah, has, has she's really been concerned for quite some time about being childless. And, and, and yet, even though, even though she might feel rejected herself, she doesn't reject God. That's because she was faithful, church. Quite literally, she was full of faith. But despite the fact that, that her, her previous prayers for a child have been seeming like they stopped at the ceiling. You know, have you heard that phrase? More, more perhaps a better question, do you know that feeling? Do you know that feeling where, where you, your prayers seem to just shatter on the ceiling and fall around you like little pieces of a broken wish, you know? 
You wonder, does God hear me? Is he listening? It's tough. It's tough, isn't it? When, when, you're, when your children are, are wayward, or, or when we still don't have a job, or when our spouse is sick, when we're drowning in anxiety, whatever it is. But friends, listen. When our prayers don't seem to be heard, that's when the rubber meets the road. From a spiritual perspective, those whose faith has no root shrivel up and die when they feel like they're not being heard. But those who are faithful know that God really is there. And He really is trustworthy. And He does hear. And the faithful refuse to reject Him, even if they feel rejected by Him sometimes. I know, I know this is a hard truth. I know this, but it goes back to God's timing. You know, sometimes no matter how desperately we, we want or we, or we feel like we need a yes answer, we don't always get it. I mean, sometimes he says, wait. Sometimes he says, flat out says no. But we shouldn't stop asking. In fact, another, another witness to our heroine's faithfulness is that she was still begging the Lord, despite the fact that she was clearly in an ongoing struggle. And I think that from this, we can learn that the Christian who is seeking something good from the Lord should persevere with all his or her heart. You know, all throughout the New Testament, we're reminded, especially in the parables of Jesus, that God rewards perseverance. I mean, remember the words of, of, of Christ himself He says, keep asking. Remember, that's the infinitive tense in Greek. Keep asking and you'll receive. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be opened unto you. That's Matthew 7, 7. You know, God God loves it when his children don't get up. Excuse me, don't give up. He loves it when we do get up. He loves it when we don't give up. But we continue to ask for something that we believe is the right thing. Now, there are times where he wants us to stop asking. And I think he lets us know when that is, when we realize something that we're asking for is not in his will. But if we don't see that, if we don't feel that from the Spirit, we should keep asking. He loves it when we keep asking, which I would argue is a way that God differs from human parents. Because most of us don't feel that way when we hit dad, dad, dad. Dad, we, we, you know, can I have, can I have, it drives us crazy, right? But God likes it. God likes it. Of course, that also has to do with what we're asking for. I mean, our Heavenly Father wants us to ask for good things. And perhaps most importantly, He wants us to ask Him. I mean, remember what Jesus, He, he also said, if you You who are evil, give to your children good things. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And that's Matthew 7, 11. And by the way, when I wrote that, instead of the colon between the chapter and verse, I accidentally put a hyphen first because, you know, 7, 11. And then I went back and I was like, wait a minute. But that's a neat trick to remember this reference. You can say to yourself, good things come from 7, 11. I know that's not true, (laughs) but you can ask yourself, you can say, hey, 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 hey. You can say Matthew 7, 11, God gives good things to those who ask him. Anyway, it's important to note that Hannah went to the right person for help. Okay? And we need to learn this too. When we're seeking good things, we should focus on the right source of help. I mean, God is the giver of all good things. 
right? According to James 1.17. Now, now please don't take that out of context, okay? Knowing that God gives us all good things doesn't mean that he only works in what we would consider to be miraculous ways. In fact, most of the time, in, in, in my experience, the Lord provides for our needs and our wants also through conventional means. Sometimes that's the generosity and the care of other believers, right? And with that in mind, faithfulness often means getting off of our duff and getting to work living the way God wants us to live. Sometimes he, he has these directives that he's given us, and we need to walk in those. We need to, to work through that, just as sometimes God is, is providing for our needs by working through things like a conventional medicine and things like that. We should not say, it, it's the old story, the age-old story of the guy that's on the top of a house in a flood. You know the story, right? And along comes a boat, and he says, no, 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 I've prayed for God to rescue me. Then comes another boat. No, 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 I've prayed for God to rescue me. Then a helicopter, and the water's up to his chin. No, 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 I've prayed for God to rescue me. And when the guy dies and he gets to heaven, God says, hey, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What else do you want? You know, God uses conventional means sometimes. Every once in a long while, he'll do something miraculous, and we get to see it, and it's awesome when it happens. Most of the time, he works through other people. And through circumstances like that. So, anyway. Uh, come back to where I was. We, we should always, though, we should always come to God first and foremost, knowing that it is his prerogative to answer our prayers, however he chooses to answer them. And that said, let's look at Hannah's prayer. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now that, that last part's connected to the Nazarite vow from the book of the law. You know, Samuel never got a haircut. But the rest of her prayer shows, shows her intensity. She is dedicating that child to the Lord in a way that bespeaks tremendous faith. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, so, so we're going to touch on that in a while. But for now, let's, let's see who else, let's see who else besides God was paying attention to this prayer, okay? As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. I don't know, it, it might just be me. It sounds to me, just from reading this, like he's the one that's been imbibing. You know what I mean? Put your wine away from you. But, but old Eli, who, by the way, Scripture tells us he was morbidly obese, okay? He's standing there. He's seeing her praying silently, but he sees her lips moving, so he thinks she's in her cups, right? And he gets all judgy on her, you know? And he chastises her. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord! This is the high priest she's talking to, Right? No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. You know, boom, that, that's important. She's been pouring out her soul. We're going to come back to that. Do not regard your servant. Again, she's talking to the high priest. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So, so two things here, okay? First of all, she, she, she's, she's getting chewed out by none other than the high priest 
But Hannah knows who is important in this conversation, right? This is an A and B between her and God. And Eli can see his way out of it, right? She, she knows who she's talking to. She knows this is not his business, and she doesn't give an inch. And I think we can learn from this. Do not be discouraged if you're misunderstood in your quest for God's favor. I mean, seriously, think about it. How often do we listen to naysayers in our lives instead of listening to the still, small voice of God saying, keep asking? I mean, I'm convinced that one of the devil's most dangerous tricks is simply to whisper, give up, in our ears. Just give up. All too often, I think, those around us even are unwittingly helping the devil out because they do the same thing. Just just give up. Now, bear in mind, the guy speaking to her was the highest person of religious authority in all of Israel, but instead of ducking out of there embarrassed, she lets him know exactly what's going on. She says, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. All along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. You know, right here, this is the second thing. We see it is perfectly acceptable to God that we speak to him out of our pain. God has broad shoulders. You can speak to him out of your pain. You are not going to hurt his feelings. You know, some folks believe the only way to speak to God is in in (laughs) measured, respectful King James English, you know? I mean, think about this. Okay, if your child fell off his bike or her bike and came to you with the bleeding elbows and the bleeding knees, you know, how how do you respond to them? First of all, how do they sound when they come to you? I mean, do they come, Mother, I require thy help. Please provide thine neosporin and band-aids for thine wretched servant. No, that's not, that's not how they... No, they're crying. They're crying. And how do you respond as a parent? Unless you're a bad parent. <laughs> I mean, some of you guys are like, I'd say rub some dirt on it and walk it up. No, listen. If you're a good parent, you're not going to say, sorry, I'm not listening, until you lower your voice and, and then... Pretend everything is fine. That's not what they do. They don't want good parents. Don't say sorry. You got to pretend you're okay to talk to me. No, they. You, we're gonna swoop in, right? We're gonna pick them up in there and embrace them. And after they stop crying, then we'll say rub some dirt on it. But until that moment, we're gonna show a parental love, a nurturing care. We're gonna tend their wounds. God is not. A, listen, listen. God is not offended when we speak to him out of our anxiety and vexation. He's not. God's not petty. God doesn't need us to stroke his ego. That's not, that's not the point. He cares about us. He cares about the condition of our hearts, including pain. Because often that's how he draws us to him. Never think that you can't be 100% transparent with God. I mean, think, y'all, he sees all of you anyway. 
inside and out. He sees your thoughts. He sees your feelings. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows. So just let it out. Nothing is hidden from him anyway. So just let it out because honesty builds relationships, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Honesty builds relationships. And the more, the more honest you are with God, I believe, the more he allows us to see his goodness. He just keeps revealing more and more of himself to us. Honesty is incredibly important. Anyway, so back to our story. To his credit, old Eli softens up just a little bit. Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. Y'all, I don't know if, if Levi's blessing had anything to do with what God decided to do for Hannah. I'm thinking probably not. But I don't think we can know for certain. But notice her reaction here. This is important. I really hope you guys catch this. Notice her reaction to pouring out her heart before God and then receiving affirmation from one of God's people whom she respected. It says that she went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. And the next day it says she worshiped the Lord with her family and then she went home. And personally, I think the way she behaved shows that she was a faithful person who had done all that she could, everything she knew to do up to that moment. And she was prepared to wait and see what God was going to do. And I think this is a lesson that we can all learn. If we truly just leave it all on the field, in our relationship with God, then we, we can experience that peace that comes from casting our burdens on Him. I mean, that's what we're told to do, right? In, in 1 Peter 5, 7, Scripture tells us, cast your burdens on Him, for He cares for you. And there's even a promise associated with this that, that I'll probably mess up the passage, but Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything lift up your prayers and supplications before the Lord. And then he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Leave it all on the field. Let it out. God is faithful. So here's the big thought there. We must be willing to release what we give him. I'm going to say that again. We must be willing to release what we give him, the things that we give to God. We have to let go. I mean, this is huge, and it's really hard. (laughs) I mean, how often do we do the opposite of this, right? We bring our burdens to the Lord, and and we think that we've cast our burdens on him, but then we, we, we look down and we realize, nope, I've still got a death grip on it. I haven't really turned it over. And it hit me, as I was actually writing this part of the sermon, it hit me what part of our problem might be. I often hear people say that we try to to leave things at the foot of the cross, but then we walk away and realize we still have it in our hands. And I thought, maybe the problem is that we're walking away. Maybe we shouldn't be walking away from the cross. Maybe we, we should live our lives under the constant recognition 
of the glory of the crucified Son of God who died for our sins and who rose from the dead. I mean, it's just a thought, right? Maybe that should always be at the forefront of our mind. Maybe that's part of why we do this in remembrance of Him. But listen, if if we're going to turn something over to the Lord, whatever or whoever it is, we need to let go of it. We need to release it. Otherwise, we haven't really given it to Him. Now, these last sub-points are all connected under that one, that one idea, so stick with me. I, I, I'm telling you, it's worth it. Stick with me. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That's, that's a euphemism for, for uh, carnal knowledge. And the Lord remembered her. Now, this is a figure of speech, okay? God doesn't literally forget things with the exception of things he chooses to forget, such as the sins of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But what it means is that God did something specific on Hannah's behalf, okay? And in due time, it says, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Goes back to that name, Samuel. Just imagine the joy for a minute of this woman who has been barren for so long And finally, the Lord has answered her prayer for a child with a resounding yes. She's stoked, you guys. She's excited. She's pumped. She's praising God. And and part, listen, part of fully releasing what we give to God is being grateful for how he answers. Which includes knowing that he is the one who answers when the answer comes. Now, sometimes, again, God will say, wait. Sometimes he says no. But when he says yes, when he says yes, let's recognize that is his grace at work and be thankful for it. Hannah knew that her son was a gift. She knew he was a gift. And she fully gave God the credit in that the very Name of her son means asked of God. And we see her gratitude in several other ways in the next few verses, including the sacrifices offered and how she followed through on her vow, uh, which we're going to look at in a moment. That, that's a big deal. We're going to look at that. But continuing in the passage, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Now this is where we really see what the vow Uh, uh, what Hannah's promise to God entailed, okay? It wasn't just your typical, you know, baby dedication. It was a baby dedication. And do you realize what she's talking about here? Hannah was planning on turning this child over to to the the house of Eli so that Samuel could, could grow up as a servant of the priests in the temple as soon as he was weaned. Imagine that, y'all. Just think about that. I mean, most children, according to what I've read on the internet, and I think it's probably about accurate for our children too, they they wean at between two and four years. So, oh, Tom. (laughs) So his his mother, his, his mother, who'd been begging God for a child for years, was planning to give him 
over. Give her toddler over to a group of strangers to raise. And we find out later she was only going to see him once a year after this. And her husband trusted her enough to go along with this decision. I mean, could you do that? Could you do that? I, I certainly hope. I hope that all of us could do this if we were called to do so. Because church, as Christians, part of releasing what we give to God is being faithful in our commitment to Him. Are we being faithful? I think we too often ask for favor from God and then when He blesses us, we turn around and neglect to release whatever we've committed to. Which, to put it bluntly, is everything we have and everything we are. That's what God demands. Jesus literally said that a person cannot be his disciple unless they renounce everything they have. Now, that doesn't mean we can't own, own, I'm going to put that in air quotes, own anything. But it means that we have to put all of it, including ourselves, including our families, all of that is at God's disposal. Everything and everyone in our lives is on loan from God. Do you realize that? It's all on loan from God. And the sooner we figure that out, the easier time we're going to have letting go of it. Even our own lives. Even our children. And that there's another really important factor that makes this easier. We're going to get there in a couple minutes. It's the last sub-point. But, but for now, let's finish the chapter. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. So, so all of this stuff that Hannah and Elkanah brought for the sacrifice, that was a way of honoring God in return for his blessing. And it was an expensive offering, too. I mean, if you go back and you look and see what that stuff cost, that was an expensive offering. But all those goods paled in comparison to her releasing her son into the priest's care. And yet that's exactly what Hannah did. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord. She's talking at this point to Eli. This is the, the Lord with a little L. I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord, all caps. And, and, and for this child I prayed. She says, And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And then he, now that, I don't know if that's Samuel, Eli, or Elkanah, worshiped the Lord there. Can you wrap your brain around this? Around this sacrifice? I mean, not the bull and all that, but, but the firstborn son. Can you imagine how this mother, how did she deal with her, her child's confusion and his tears and his terror as she left him with, with strangers? I mean, it's crazy to me. How did, how did she know that he would be okay? Hey, for that matter, how does any parent know your child is going to be okay? How do we know? We don't. We don't know. We simply have to trust God with the results. And we do this because we trust that he is good. 
He is good. And I know some of us struggle with this. I'll tell you the truth. I sometimes struggle with this, but I'll, I'll let you in on something. My parents struggled with this too. And probably their parents. You know, my, my earthly father told me that, he told me this years later, he said that at the height of my sinful rebellion against my parents and against God, he and my mother had to turn me and my sister too, by the way, over to the Lord and just say to him, God, we can't control him and he's in your hands. Please bring him back to you. And God did. He did. And that, that's why I'm here today. That's, I'm here in the pulpit telling you to trust God with the results of whatever, of whomever you release to him. God is trustworthy. And when we are faithful, and, and, and we know this, God is infinitely more faithful, and he is good, and he won't give you a stone when you ask him for bread. I want to give you a, a very brief epilogue to this story, okay? Samuel grew up to be a judge over God's people. And, and he anointed two different kings over Israel. You remember who they are? Saul and David. Yep. This is in spite of the fact that he did not have a great example in the people who raised him. Because remember, he was raised by Eli and his two awful sons, right? And, and Hannah... Who was, who was faithful to her commitment to the Lord and giving up her firstborn son, she was faithful to her commitment and then was graced by God's faithfulness with three more sons and two daughters after that. And, and listen, I want, the, I want this to blow your mind like it did me. This is a familiar story, okay? God gave up his firstborn to be raised by and to live with those who did not set a very good example. And if you think about this, God the Father sent his son knowing what was going to happen. He sent his son knowing that he was the full knowledge. He was going to be tortured. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be spat on. And he was going to be executed in order to pay the penalty for sin. But God also knew that he was going to raise Jesus from the dead. And through, through that amazing sacrifice and resurrection he would win for himself more sons and daughters what foreshadowing in the story of this faithful mom who delivered up her son and trusted God and received back many more everyone who turns to Jesus in repentant faith can experience that, that sonship in Christ. So we see in the Old Testament this, this one faithful mother, a hint of the great faithfulness of our sovereign God who sacrificed his son to bring many sons to glory. And that's the God that we worship. And Happy Mother's Day gives you a whole new perspective when you think about that story, doesn't it? One day. One day we're all going to be, all of us who are in Christ, we're going to be together forever with Jesus. And that's exciting to think about. But I want you to know this. 
if you have not received Christ, if you have not believed on him, you are not part of that number. And there's some very specific things that scripture tells us if we believe in Jesus. Our lives change. They have to. We're going to be a new creation, indwelt by the Spirit of God. He tells you to confess and to profess Him as Savior, to be immersed in water, and to walk in obedience. And this is what we're called to. And so this morning, uh, Danny's going to come up and he's going to play a song. And I think we're going to eventually pick another song, but right now we're sticking with the one that we've done the last few Sundays. And if you feel, uh, as Dave said earlier, if you feel led in any way, if, if you want to be baptized, if you want to rededicate your life to Christ, if, if you want to profess your faith in Christ publicly for the first time, even if you need prayer um, or just need somebody to talk to, we're here. We're here for you. This is why we're here as the church, to worship the Lord and have fellowship with one another for encouragement, for accountability. That's why we're here. So why don't you stand together and, and we'll sing the song. And if you're being led in any way, don't miss this chance. Mm-hmm.